Welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. I'm your host, Alice Stoltz. In our final episode of the year, we asked the question, how has the pandemic changed the way we live and will it stick in the new year? We then look at how housing affordability has tracked over the years. And to wrap things up, our prestige property expert, Lucy Macken, returns to give us the lowdown on some of her biggest property stories of 2020. Working from home, homeschooling, less public transport, more renovations. On the podcast this year, we've unpacked how Australians' lives have moved with the ebbs and flows of restrictions and lockdowns. The way we live has undeniably changed considerably in 2020, but will it stick in the new year? Joining us to discuss is Sydney Domain Editor and Prestige Magazine Editor, Jen Malocco. Jen, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Alice. Nice to be here. Now, Jen, instead of heading off to the workplace each day, many Australians found themselves working from home. How has this changed how we interact with our neighbourhoods or communities now we are immersed in them day and night? Yeah, look, Alice, it's no doubt that we all spent much more time at home than we ever have in 2020. Our worlds became smaller, but we also started to really notice the people around us. And that can include like our neighbours. Um, and in the uh, magazine this week, we've got a story looking at the changes that happened in 2020. And in that, we've got a wonderful story about some neighbours in Leichhardt. There was a woman who was working from home, Leanna, and she noticed that her neighbour, Maria, who was an older woman, a grandmother, was looking a little bit forlorn and lonely. And they got to start to speak and then they, she found out that Maria couldn't see her grandchildren because they're in further areas further away. And so the two women started to have these beautiful afternoon teas on the veranda of Maria. Maria would make some lovely cakes and Leanna would also bring her daughter Scarlett. But they said that it really made a big difference for all of them during this period and it's probably something they wouldn't have done before. Mm, I love that idea because I think that so much of the time we are aware of our neighbours but we're all in such different situations and different boats whereas I think what happened during the lockdown was everybody was literally locked down at the same time and it did make us turn toward one another as opposed to just looking inward I suppose. Yeah, look, in our article as well, we spoke to social researcher Mark McCrindle and he was also said, look, that COVID really made us refocus on relationships. And I think we all thought about how that changed with maybe our family, but the other big relationship that really changed was neighbours. And as you say, it was just a simple case of we weren't running in and out of our places at the beginning and end of every day. We were there all day and so we were seeing each other and I think it's led to some really beautiful friendships and real connection again with neighbours and seeing how important they are and how important it was, I think, this year that we all look out for each other. Mm. But it is going back to a different era, isn't it? I, you know, we, we know that 40, 50, 60 years ago, the sort of sense of community and neighbourhoods was so important to so many people. And we've really evolved away from that as a country, particularly in the metro cities, but now we are stepping back towards it. Yeah, and I think it'll become something that now that people have become aware of how valuable it can be, it'll be a real part of their search of when they're looking for houses. Like I think they'll really value areas that they see have good neighbourhoods. 
I think people really are seeing that it's priceless to have that community with your neighbours. Now, on the subject of homes, obviously our homes have worked so hard for us this year, I think. How has the function of the home changed in 2020, do you think, Jen? Yeah, look, I think we've really all rethought our homes and and what they offer us and what they should offer us as well this year. I mean, obviously, we had that big thing that happened about working from home. And so we're spending more time there. I mean, and that's come up just even at Domain where people like the keyword search of when they're looking for their homes and what words were coming up, some of them that had never really been that significant before 2020. So obviously, things like home office was a real search term that people were looking for something with a home office. Even things like gardens, courtyards, any sort of outdoor space, because we realised how important that was. But it's also interesting, in our story, we also spoke with developers and they said a really interesting thing that has happened this year is like a demand for more flexible layouts, because we know that our home needs to change. You know, when you've got working from home or you've got more kids at home, or different areas. And the other one, you know, just to have separate spaces, we'd love to open plan, but developers are saying, people are saying to them, well, we'd really like a few little closed areas, separate spaces, so we can all have our own space within that home as well. Jen, there have been reports of more children moving back home with their parents, particularly people who have been impacted by unemployment throughout the pandemic. And also for multi-generational people, their concerns about their parents being in aged care facilities. Has that had an effect on what is happening in Australian households? Yeah, yeah. Look, that's been another really interesting one. Um, we came across a really interesting case of a um, a family who are living in an apartment who've all bought into the same apartment block in Marrickville this year, American Co. And it's three generations. So what they ended up doing is they ended up buying three apartments on one floor in the actual apartment development. And their son, Vitas, said it was a really great solution of being able to keep an eye on your parents, but also people are able to retain their independence. So I think we'll see more of that. Mm. Jen, another trend, you know, people have always been so fixated on commute times and being close to the office and how to cut down your commute, et cetera. But obviously this year we've all become less dependent on public transport to get around and people are sort of wanting that compromise of having extra space. So how has that had an impact on how close to the city people are choosing to live? Yeah, Alice, that's made a big difference. I think in the last couple of years, there's been nothing more popular and in demand than inner city living. And this year, we got to all have a bit of a rethink about that because we're going, well, I don't actually need to get into the office. And what else could I get further away from the city? It's become a real trend in all parts of the market. So that really upper end of the market, that prestige market, the term that they have is called urban acreage. So what an urban acreage, say for something in Sydney, that's something that's on a couple of acres and it's in semi-rural suburbs like Dural and Terry Hills. And it gives people the opportunity to be able to have this beautiful property on quite a bit of land, but not be too far from the city. But it's also happening not just with that really high-end place as well. We spoke to like Malford Developments and they really specialise in first-home buyers, even second-home buyers. One of their biggest sellers and the biggest demand was for townhouses 
but which were quite a distance from the city. And there was such demand for them that prices ended up going up twice this year. And they even got some record results. Uh, they had a townhouse which was 30 kilometres plus from the city and went for $1.7 million. And for their market, it was really like they were saying people coming in and they're just realising I don't need to be as close to a train station, as close to my office. It's somewhere I may need to get to once a week, twice a week. And in the meantime, I can end up having a bigger home um, with more land around it. And, and that's a really good solution. So Jen, just finally, in your opinion, what do you think will stick for 2021 after the year that we've had? What are we going to keep with us going forward, do you think? Look, I think a little bit of every one of those areas that we talk about will stick. I really hope community sticks. I think that has been, you know, something that people have really been surprised by and really, really value now. On the area of where we live and whether we're going to start to look a bit further afield, I think that will continue. We've started to see even value for money, what we can get as, as we get further afield. But I'm a little bit torn about that. I don't think people are ready to give up on inner city living. I think some of the things that we've really missed during COVID and which we haven't been able to do, you know, that the inner city offers, be it, you know, cafes, more bars, restaurants. But now when things start to change in 2021 and we can start to do those things again, I think that will interest people again in the inner city. Yeah, I think you're right, Jen. And at the end of the day, I think we're absolutely spoiled for choice here in Australia. So thanks so much for chatting today with us, Jen. Thanks, Alice. House prices are back on the rise and are expected to continue to climb next year, which is probably unwelcome news for those looking to get into the market for the first time. While the pandemic and previous downturns in cities like Sydney and Melbourne put downward pressure on the property market, they did little to improve housing affordability. Entry-level prices in Melbourne are now more expensive than they were in the peak of the market, and prices in other cities are also edging in on record heights. Here to talk us through what is happening at the lower end of the market is Domain journalist Kate Burke. Kate, great to have you back. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Alice. Now, Kate, I understand you've got some new figures for us today around how different price points have been tracking across our biggest markets. Can you tell us a few of them? Often when we do discuss the property market, we look at median prices and how they're tracking. But just as different areas and different cities can perform very differently, so can those various price points in the one market. So what our research team has done is they've broken up domain sales data to really focus in on what prices are doing at that entry level price point. And they've also decided to look back at price growth over a longer period of time to sort of see what the main trends have been. Now, we often hear that it is that top end of the market that leads both upswings and downturns. And that's certainly been the case in recent months since the pandemic hit with some of our biggest trophy homes seeing quite strong rebounds since about March. But when we take a longer term view, we can see that prices at the bottom of the market have often risen at a faster rate than the median. In Melbourne, for instance, entry level house prices have grown at more than twice the pace of the middle of the market over the past five years. And so that's why sometimes even though the media and Maine is reporting that property prices are falling, 
first home buyers might feel that that's not being reflected in what they're seeing on the ground because at the lower end of the market, there is still that strong competition. And that said, it can go that way for other price segments of the market at different times. It really just depends on that supply demand equation and how that's tracking at the different price points. Now, you've you've just referenced what's happening in Melbourne. And Kate, what about the prices in Sydney? What are you seeing there? So it is a bit of a mixed bag across capital cities. So in Sydney, it is still that top end of the market, which saw the strongest price growth. But cheaper houses did still see their prices rise at an above average rate. Looking at other cities, price growth was also strongest for the most affordable houses in Canberra and Brisbane. They were up there about 35% and 29% respectively. Adelaide too saw the top end of its market see stronger price growth like Sydney did. But it did still also see quite significant price rises for its lower end of the market as well. So as I said, a bit of a mixed bag, but we are still seeing in a lot of cities those cheaper homes outpace the median price growth. It's certainly very sobering news for first home buyers looking for standalone houses. Is there any hope for these pool of buyers when it comes to the apartment market? Yes, there's definitely more hope for the apartment market. Again, really, it's not a great picture for those in Melbourne though, because again, it is the bottom end of the market, which really saw the strongest price growth for units. They were up about 17% over the five years compared to just about an 8% jump for the middle of the market. But across our other cities, price growth for units and the affordable units has been a lot more subdued. In Sydney, they've only risen 2.25% over the past five years. Entry-level unit prices are actually down in both Brisbane Perth, Canberra as well. Adelaide, they are up, but not as they haven't seen as significant a jump as the top end of the market. I guess units, obviously, there is a lot more supply um, in most cities than there is for housing. You know, they're building more units, they're not making more land. So it is a bit more of a, a hopeful picture for what buyers can get for their money for units. Mm. Kate, just finally, what are the expectations of what will happen going forward then? I know there's obviously a lot of uncertainty ahead, but given that we have seen such sort of strong numbers coming out, is the feeling that this will probably stay in this upward direction? Uncertainty is definitely the key word there, Alice. Um, But we have seen property prices edging higher in recent months and more growth is expected to continue next year with a number of banks revising their forecasts and now tipping price rises of more than 5%. And it is that bottom section of the market that is expected to continue to see strong growth. Obviously, we have seen the upper end of the market lead these price rises, but that is expected to filter down through the different price brackets. And demand from first home buyers is expected to continue to be strong, I should say, um, given the incentives in place for first home buyers at the moment and the fact that many would see now as their window to get into the market while immigration is lower, while prices are slightly softer. But that does mean that there is more demand at that entry-level price point and essentially could push those prices higher. Mm. It's certainly really confronting news for first home buyers. No matter how many incentives that are out there and the government is trying to do all they can, it really leaves this buyer pool in a, a very tough situation. 
I don't know that it's ever an easy time to be a first home buyer. It's obviously always going to be quite an expensive step to take, um, but it will be interesting to see how those first home buyer numbers do fare in the coming months. And if we do see the volume of her first home buyers entering the market remain high or whether it will start to pull back. Mm, Indeed. Kate, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks for having me, Alice. Our next guest is no stranger to the podcast. Prestige Property Reporter Lucy Macken is our brains trust for the movements of the well-heeled in Australia and has had front row seats to the way the market has shape-shifted with the pandemic. She joins us now to debrief on some of the year's biggest sales and stories. Welcome back, Lucy. Hi, how are you? Look, Lucy, given it's been a big year, what are some of the biggest property shocks to come out of 2020? Um, I guess apart from the obvious black swan event, you know, it's actually the market bounce back that happened. You know, like the conversations that were taking place in March were not pretty for homeowners and uh, the projections were really dire. And in that sort of March period where you'll remember, cast yourself back, you know, we were all in lockdown and that sort of stuff was going on or we were going into lockdown and I was seeing properties that were, you know, listed for 15, then revised down to 13 at the start of the year, a quick panic and in one case sold for eight. And, you know, the fact that the prestige market in particular, but the overall market has bounced back so significantly has shocked everyone. You know, Sydney up 0.4% in November, Melbourne up 0.7%, you know, across the board. And that's just for the month. And we know how normally prestige does take quite a battering normally when things do go south. So it's all the more interesting, I think, that what's obviously going on below the surface is even stronger, I suppose. So it's just intriguing to me because I was a bit like you about it and felt quite nervous when COVID hit and thinking that borders were closed, international borders were closed and what the repercussions that would be on that prestige market. But we are really seeing some really strong emerging signs of a lot more confidence in that end of the market. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, the first example of it actually, and it was a bit of a shock, but I remember writing about ex-trade minister Andrew Robb and we were back late March and he sold his Cremorne house. Now he had wanted more than four and at the time the conversations around, you know, the lower North Shore where this is, you know, was sort of about, "Mm, will he get it? You know, the guide was revised up to 4.2 and he got more than that. It was the first example of where we sort of went, oh, things are interesting. By the fact that August, if you remember, Mike Cannon-Brooks paid $24.5 million for Jen Hawkins' place in Newport. That was a shock. I mean, you know, obviously he's good for it, but that was a really big sum for Newport. And then a month later we had the businessman John Lai put a $95 million call option on the Point Piper duplex. Are you also seeing trends, Lucy, of people looking more regionally or people switching to apartment living or not or whatever? Like, Are you seeing COVID-affected trends emerging? Yes, absolutely. The family home out in the burbs won in a landslide this year because for many there is no commute, you know, and it's not just a commute, no commute this year, but for many people going into the office will now be a once or twice a week event and that makes places like... Terry Hills, Palm Beach, Avalon, Bowral, you know, all these places, you know, really, really attractive. Palm Beach in particular, what is traditionally a a holiday home market, you know, 70% holiday home buyers, 30% people buying a permanent home, completely flipped 
And that flipped after the Easter long weekend where everyone was in lockdown and Palm Beach was as packed as it is in its peak at Christmas. And, you know, now you've got 70% of buyers up there are looking for a permanent residence and 30% holiday homeowners. And so little surprise, you've seen medians in these sort of areas go through the roof. Could you ever have anticipated that you would see prestige move away from where it was probably when you started the round and much more in inner Sydney and in certain regional areas to where it is today? Like, Can you see that how it's evolved so dramatically, hasn't it? Absolutely. If you said that the Northern Beaches record would be helped by Newport, I would have said, no, there isn't a house there that would do that. Byron? I mean, the, you know, Byron, 22 million, Brian Singer, you know, on Watergoes Beach, that's extraordinary. They're North Shore numbers, you know, and the conga line of, of Sydney ciders heading to Barrel and that whole area has been quite phenomenal. It is a real shift in what is prestige and what isn't, you know, and quite noticeably I have not been talking about the apartment market in the inner city, you know, in the east areas much at all this year because that has not been looming large as a market of much demand at all. You know, I appreciate it's they're still getting good figures there. You know, people who are moving out of Sydney need a glamorous bolt hole. But usually a lot of my attention is in those areas. And what about areas like Queensland? Do you think that will continue to have pockets that do really attract out-of-state buyers in the prestige market? Well, actually, I kept suggesting to a few agents up there that perhaps, you know, Noose's days were over, just to sort of say, you know, is that because we can't fly there, therefore the market's going to crash, right? And yet, you know, the results have been very different. You know, markets like Noosa, as I just mentioned, are going gangbusters and huge sales results up there. You know, as we know, with Kevin Rudd and Therese Rain spending $17 million in May for the beachfront, they're big numbers. So we'll wait and see. I mean, 2021, surely it'll be better, right? It's got to go up from here, Lucy, that's for sure. <laughs> Lucy, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks, Ian. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. This is our last episode of the year, so thank you for tuning in and for all the support. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe. We'll be back in 2021. Until then, have a very happy and safe new year. This episode was produced by Adrian Lowe, Kate Burke and Danielle Giannopoulos. It was edited and mixed by Dan McHugh. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au.